Hey y'all, we realized that this episode that we recorded last July never released with the other episodes, so we are releasing it now. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to Poropod. Oh, shoot. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I didn't have the thing open because I, okay, all right. Start it again. Start it again. Okay, okay. You're listening to Protopod. Welcome as we, Portia, the lifelong fan, and Amanda, the first-time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S., doing a quarantine project, and who love being soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Of course, this is not uh, neither one of them again. In this uh, episode, yeah. So this is uh, a Seven Dials mystery. So if anything, it's a bundle mystery. Right? right. She, she's, our re- she's our returning character. And um, it was written in 1929. And it's, it's a continuation of... What's it called? The mystery is the secret of chimneys, the secret of chimneys, which I would say is sort of like the sequel to a movie that you loved, right? (laughs) Like where it's like they did a lot of stuff that like, oh, I see what you did there. Like it's a nod to, but like they also in some ways try too hard to recreate the magic of the first one. So it's like to me, the writing in this one is the comedy is genius like all of the dialogue between Bundle and her father is just like cracks oh me up God. over it. Like I was like kept going back to read to like try to figure out the plot stuff. And like every time I'd hear that it would just crack me up. Like Bundle and her father. Right. Like rich, rich people saying dumb things to each other was hilarious. <laughs> but when right. it came to the actual mystery and the actual like how much you believed it and all that stuff, like there was a lot more leaps. Again, like, kind of like a sequel of a right and of since- a movie. Was that your uh- same impression? Yeah, and you know how in the movie sequel, when they hire the sequel and the main care actors that they really like are like, yeah, I don't need to make a secret. I'm a movie star. I won't come back. So instead, they take two of the minor characters and make them the stars. She totally did that, which oh. um, because the characters that we really love from The Secret of Chimneys, which were Virginia and Anthony, aren't even there. It. They don't, they're not even mentioned. Right. Yeah, and they like, even re- refer to what happened four years ago and they don't I even love, mention them. I love Bundle because she reminds me of like the character of uh, well, who's the who's the the woman on uh, Father Brown, like the niece of that fancy lady who's always like helping with the mysteries. Anyway, she's basically like a it's it's a name sort of like Bundle and she's sort of like a frivolous rich like girl who just like it's funny. Because she has energy to be funny because she doesn't have any financial problems. Right. This runs around helping Father Brown. And like, so Bundle like reminds me of that in her sort of like, I'm frivolous and it's fun. Um, but you're right. It actually is true because like the characters, the characters from Chibi that you cared about are not here. Right. That's, that's a very good point. So the characters um, from Chimneys that are back are lord catterham bundle his daughter who's now i mean i think in the in whose real name is lady eileen but because apparently all super rich british women have to have like <laughs> with a bowl or yeah umbrella or bundle yeah. like they have like a weird nickname that doesn't make any sense like blanket right. or 
socks. There's literally right. a girl named Socks in this. And then, um, and then uh, Bill Eversley, who spent, who was a more important character in the. Uh, but he wasn't likable in the last one. You didn't like him at all. Yeah, he was okay. He was, yeah, he was kind of. He a, was sort yeah, of a bit of a joke. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, and George Lomax was in the last <laughs> one. Cotters. Uh, who um, I thought they described him better in The Secret of Chimneys. Here they are like, yeah, he's a politician and he's boring. <laughs> we want to avoid him. But they didn't really explain because that scene in The Secret of Chimney where he's holding onto Lord Catterham's lapel and not letting go. And Lord Catterham is like, I just want this conversation to end, but I can't leave because he's literally holding onto my clothes. That scene really helps you understand who George Lomax is. Right. And they don't really do that as much. And Lord um, Ketterham is kind of like what... Who's the guy in... Um, oh, man. Okay, Man in the Brown Suit. The guy who ends up to be the bad guy, but seems... Right. Like, right, right. Lord Ketterham really is that guy who's just like, I just want to be rich and lazy. Can you leave me alone? <laughs> I'm he, just rich and old and lazy. Stop and talking. so... But he really is season. that. And it's so perfect. And then Bundle's like, I want excitement. He's like, all right, girl, well. And he's just funny. Like, you want to, you know, he doesn't try to, like, you know, as we found out, this is 1920 slang, cramp her style at all and, like, right. impinge on anything about her rights as a woman or anything. He's just like, just please don't make me do more work than I want to do. Right. He even doesn't even want, like, his apparent, he owns this big house that's an, or estate. House is not the right word. And people wanted to hold like a, a rally for the girl guides, like a fun, what we would call a fundraiser fair thing. And he was like avoiding the vicar so that he wouldn't have to help, not because he's against the fundraiser, but because it would involve work. Right. <laughs> so, he's like, Ugh, leave me alone. So, like, I, he's a totally likable character. And, like, he's, what you thought it was in the man in the brown suit, but like he's actually that. Right, right. Uh yeah. And you said that when we were reading The Secret of Chimneys that he reminded you, but that's why you were like, Oh god, he's the bad guy, but then he really wasn't. Yeah, luckily he wasn't. And the other guy who was in both books is Superintendent Battle. Right. Who... And Battle shows up um when there's that book with like all the different different detectives come together. Right, right. So Battle the appears House she of likes Cards. Battle. Well, that's that's the yeah, yeah, I um I can't remember the name right now. So those are the um uh the characters from the last book and then we've got Sir Oswald and his wife Lady Coot. Um right. who are uh, they were not born into money the way Lord Catterham, the lazy rich guy and Bundle were. They made their money by working really hard. And Sir Oswald. Well, Sir Oswald did. And Lady Coote has just like gotten richer and richer and been like less and less happy. Like she's sort right. of so discontent of a rich woman who's just like, okay, now I have 19 maids instead of one maid to talk to, but my husband's still the worst. And I'm right. <laughs> so she is always acting like she's, they talk about how she always looks like a very sad actress who would emote um, and get stressed right. out. That about she would nothing. be a tortured wife that's being cheated on or something right but instead she's a rich woman who loves her husband and he loves her but she's just like oh um then we've got uh a bunch of young people 
Um, okay, so I have the, questions the, about that. Let's go into the plot because I have questions about how these old people. So when the book opens, we're at Chimneys, which is why there's a carryover. But now mm-hmm. Sir Oswald and Lady Coot are renting Chimneys because he's got so much money he wants to rent all the fancy estates just to show off. Um, mm-hmm. And he's having a party there. And apparently in those times of, the, of that class, when you had a party, everybody stays over for a bunch of days. But what right. I don't understand is Sir Oswald is clearly like a certain age and Lady Coot is. And they have all these young people over for this party that I can't figure out how they're connected to because they don't seem to necessarily like them or know them. And the only person who's their age is Pongo, who works for Oswald. But he doesn't like and those people. And they don't like him. So it's not like he's like, hey, let me have the homies over. Well, it that's not fair. That. He doesn't like Jimmy because he went to college with him. Uh, and but they, I didn't feel like Pongo was necessarily particularly connected to any of these young no. people. Right. He's, he a a job. Guy. he's like there being a secretary to a rich guy trying to climb up. And right. then like all these young people who are there being young and frivolous, like it was like, oh, they're having a party, but I couldn't figure out how the coots were related to any of these young people. Like, why did they get invited except for, like, these are a bunch of young, rich people? Right. That's and weird I, to me. Like, yeah, if, I, I if totally Bundle agree. had been there and said, like, hey, I'm being a society girl, let me bring all the homies, then it would like, have made sense. But, like, I didn't understand why they were there. Yeah, I mean, because you definitely hear about this. It wasn't a dinner party. It was like they were staying for a certain number of days. Right. And so you hear about that. And it's not something that we as Americans have under any understanding of this idea that you would take a bunch of random people to have a weekend at an estate. Um, and, you know, maybe there would be I mean, I, I only know this because I've watched some episodes of The Crown, right? That maybe <laughs> there would be some hunting. And they would be listening to music and some fancy meals and they would dress for dinner, right? But wouldn't they all know each other? Um, yeah, but do they all... Yeah, exactly. Like how they're... Anyway, I was wondering if you caught it because I, I went back to listen I, to be like, I, did no, I miss it? I don't know why all these... Um, so anyways, what's funny is in the setup, so the, the, it's a third person narrator, but it sort of starts from the perspective of Jimmy Thessinger because it like is seeing into his thoughts and stuff. So there's Jimmy, Ronnie Devereaux... Yeah. Um, Bills Eversley, Rupert uh, Bateman, who is Pongo, who they all kind of tease, and then Jerry Wade. And it's is that like Jerry Wade keeps sleeping later and later every day, and they're like, this is getting ridiculous. And they talk, uh, that's how you know, because Jerry Wade said something like, oh, it's so um, interesting because somehow at every house party I ever go to, I'm the last one up. And he's talking to Lady Coots like, and she's like what earlier and he's like what and then he's like (laughs) i just love because also he gets up at like uh 12 you know he gets up at noon for breakfast and lady coot says something to the butler like oh that must be so hard for you because you still have to serve him breakfast and then turn around and serve us all lunch and the butler's like I got this. You don't have to have sympathy for me in a way that like he had, she had offended him by having sympathy. And he's like, I am, he says something like, I'm accustomed to the way of young gentlemen. Yeah. Like these dudes always act like this. It's not unique to you. Right. And that, that whole interaction between Lady Coot 
and the house staff there is hilarious like, because there's that guy the head head guy of the house right and then i can't think of the name right now Treadwell. Uh, and then there's the head gardener who keeps like intimidating her out of what she wants to do yeah and it's so interesting because there's definitely like uh, if you were an aristocrat and you grew up with these um servants then you would know how to talk to them but because she didn't grow they're up all rich, rich. They're new, yeah they're new money she's like super intimidated by it and doesn't know how to talk to them anyway so there was this really interesting thing like because they were new money it was throwing off the whole thing right right so then um there's also three young women staying there vera no uh was Vera the one who went by by socks? Hold on, I have it in the notes. We have okay. Helen, Nancy, and Vera, and Vera is socks. Okay, and it's funny, it's funny and also offensive because the narrator sort of like besides socks keeps being like Helen said it, or maybe it was Nancy. So even the omnipotent um, or omniscient uh, narrator can't tell these women apart and I think it's because he's actually from Jimmy's perspective mm-hmm. but it, it's sort of showing that these women are so frivolous they're just interchangeable which they don't not show the young men to be that way as well so it's not necessarily like misogynistic that they're doing that but they're just showing them to be like ridiculously frivolous so it's like someone says something and they're like hell said Helen or maybe Nancy because <laughs> you can't what? even tell them apart so and there's socks. And socks is always saying that everything is subtle, which she can't stop using the word subtle. She's clearly the best character in there because it totally reminded of me when I would go through a phase of saying something <laughs> <laughs> when I was a you kid. Totally would. You totally would. I would go through these phases where I remember there was one where I went through a bizarre phase where I used the word bizarre all the time. Definitely. Our phase. I forgot about that, but yes. So I, I felt I need like, socks. It must, be, it must, you must be more subtle. And then, like, sometimes she'll use the words actually correct, and then sometimes she'll just say it when it was like totally out of context and like subtle makes no sense. But you totally do that. Yeah, I totally go through Very word phases. That's so. funny. You go through a bizarre phase. So, yeah. So you're the socks of this story. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway. So that's the setup is like happy party with rich young people partying. And the biggest problem is that. And, and they're being hosted by a, they're they're being hosted by a couple of serious old farts, which we don't know where they're hosting them, but they are. So yeah. it's fine. And then Pongo is their age, but actually works for the old farts. And he's smart. And Everybody keeps talking about how smart he is. How smart he is. Oh, by the way, I just got to say this book uses the word ass more than any book in history. Everybody <laughs> is an ass. They call everybody an ass. Don't be an ass. Yep. You're an ass. You're such an ass. Don't call me an ass. Like they use that word so much. And again, 1929. Like it's you're like, huh. But I've I never seen a book use the word ass so much. But they not, really did. not in a sexual way, calling people an ass. Right. That's so funny. You're right. I didn't even kept pick up on that on the audiobook. Because they keep on saying that Pongo is smart and every other person, every other man is an ass. And they really are. They really are. 
So, Which is why, like, I wanted to be offended that they were sort of like these women were like frivolous and, and interchangeable, but the men are kind of interchangeable too, and frivolous and yeah. asses. <laughs> so, and then they mentioned that Bill worked for the Foreign Office. I think Jerry did too. Did Ronnie? Mm-hmm. Ronnie did too. Okay, and then Jimmy didn't do anything. We don't know what Jimmy did. And then, but I do love when Jerry was like, oh, I'm sorry I sleep in so late. I promise when I have to go to the foreign office, I have to be there by 11. I know, right? (laughs) He's like, I'm there at a timely 11. I'm like, oh my God, you can get to work by 11. Right. It's a good job. Right. Which means, you know, he's saying he had to wake up and, oh, I don't know. Did that mean he had to wake up at 10? Ooh. Right, they they made it sound like all these these young men after the war got got these cushy jobs at the at the foreign office and right right and they, and they keep referring to them how they were like not very smart right the narrator plot referred to like these young men as like not being super smart so the joke was that they were going to buy a bunch of alarm clocks which of course in the book. They spell A L A R U M alarm. I did not realize that. that's how the narrator, uh, you know, the reader pronounced it in the audiobook, but I did not know that. You know, well, that you know, Brett's random use. Alarm clock. Yeah. Throwing out random use, like, you know, with like I did color. not realize it that way. Yeah. Alarm clock. So, yeah, they- so because Jerry Ray keeps getting later and later. So, all the other young people are like, okay what can we do to wake them up? So they go to the town and they buy literally eight alarm clocks to set for the next night. And it's like a joke. So they're all going to like wait till he falls asleep and like go in and put all these alarm clocks, like go off at different hours. And it's this whole like big joke thing. But except for then he never wakes up because he's dead. Yeah. And, and then he, he got took, he took us, um, chloral, which I guess is sleeping, um, medicine. But that's weird because, you know, he's young and fit and healthy and never had any trouble sleeping. He's obviously a champion sleeper. He does not need to take sleeping drafts. Right. So then Jimmy and Ronnie go to tell his stepsister, which they call sister and then half-sister. Half or sister, but really it's a stepsister, but maybe they didn't have that term. Right. And because so he was they're not at step-sister. all actually related to each other. Um and then um, Ronnie tells Jimmy to go and uh, 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 pay respect, right, to uh, Jerry's body. Oh, right. like, yeah, you have to go in and see the body. And Jimmy's like, I don't want to, but okay. So this is one of the things that why this um, book, I think, has an uneven tone, which is why I don't like it as much as The Secret of Chimneys or some of his her other light ones. Because here's this house party with a bunch of um, young people that seem fun, and they're having fun, and then one of them is killed. Now, if Sir Oswald had been killed, then that would have been kind of with the same tone, you know what I mean? Like, the old pe- guy that nobody, you know, that we're not getting to know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but it's like here they are like do 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 we're having fun alarm clocks partying do 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 and then somebody one of the young people gets killed you know that's the beginning of a horror movie not a Agatha Christie movie you know what I mean that's so the true. tone feels a little bit uneven because it's like ha 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 wait you know 
Right, and then we keep cutting back to like Bundle and her father saying funny things, but there's a lot of death. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's a, that's a good point. Is something beeping at your end? Uh, yes, um, those are the sounds of Washington, D.C. I like to... <laughs> okay. Oh, I just was wondering if I was losing my mind. Backing or... up in some way? Um, I'm not sure. Uh... Well, it could have been because we have a guy who works for comcast who works lives across the street from us and so he parks every night and every night it's like huh he's home beep beep because he's backing oh. up his comcast van well and as i told you we're hard-headed and don't use the central air yeah hardly ever like unless i'm dying and so like i have the window open and the fan on even though like i could be living a much more comfortable life <laughs> but i like to suffer through summer <laughs> because in winter I need to. I need this physical memory in my body oh, so that in hot, winter yeah. I can remember how hot I was in the summer. Because if I if I go through summer as a smooth sixty eight, then like I had I don't have to save up any of the hotness for winter. Right. I right. don't know. I'm. Yeah. It's insane. I, I but anyways, yeah. So I apologize for the city noises. It's okay. I just was like, am I hearing beeps? Okay. <laughs> Is this the kind of stuff that we're actually going to edit out? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> People are enthralled about beeping trucks, I'm sure. I'm sure. So so then- so basically the 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 they he died right before the bundle and Lord Caterham were gonna move back in. Apparently they go traveling. It's like an old timey Airbnb, I guess. Right, right. Because they apparently the Coots had rented it for two years. So what were Bundle and Lord K- where were they living for two whole years? Was it two years? I didn't catch that. It was that yeah. long. Yeah. So like where where, where have they been? And she did say something about being abroad. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But they but they right after the death they were already set to like give the place up. So yeah. Bundle and Lord Caden were um, moved back in, and that's why I would say this book is worth reading. Is just for the dialogue mostly between Bundle and Lord Caterham. Yeah. It's just hilarious between her and her father. Yeah. Yeah. So they're talking about how annoying it is that the guy died there. And or he is like, that's so annoying. Why did he have to die here? And she's like, ah, get over it. And then he was like, oh, he, by the way, he died in your bedroom. And he, she was and like, she's like, rude. <laughs> Why did he have to die here? And then um, she finds a letter that he was writing to his, quote, sister, but not sister. Um, Which, and you're saying that very importantly because it's definitely like, not a sexy time letter but an intimate letter and so like you're like that's gross um but it's because clearly he was in love with her his stepsister um yeah because a it was stepsister and also he was like seven years older than her yeah so just gross and like in modern times and like not that i mean there's no blood but still like boundaries and like right age boundaries and like just so many boundaries crossed right i was just like oh gross gross but you know so he he in the letter he says he's feeling good but then he says he's falling asleep um and And he says something about like he's like don't worry about that seven dials thing i told you about and then you're like title of the book Hmm." right and then bundle's like oh hey i should ask bill about this because this seems like a mystery and there was a mystery four years ago and it was fun so there's this great picture but even of- though they're always describing bill as super dull like she's like i should ask bill even though he's a dummy because apparently and by the end we find out spoiler alert bill's not a dummy he was playing dummy right i mean I or think- maybe he is a dummy well no no because 
Bill is a big guy who everybody thinks is dumb is actually smart. No, what is that to Portia? Totally your type. <laughs> Portia's type. Right. So I. So you're like Team Bill from the beginning. I was like, oh yeah, totally Team Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's totally your type of guy. <laughs> right. Like the big guy who, yeah, so. Anyway, I mean, yeah, he's this big guy and he plays football, but yeah, he happens to be on the football team at Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, right. Oh my God, that's hilarious. So, anyway, so so Team Bill. But anyway, but yeah, so she's going to go talk to Bill. um, And I do love the picture where they describe that she's like, I'm going to get out my car. So you got to think 1920s open car, right? and then she pulls out and somebody in the t- in the little town goes, her ladyship is in a hurry. Get out of the road, you know, because I'm guessing that she's like 23. Um, she, yeah, they never say, but that sounds great. You know, 22, 23. Because yeah. in the other book, which they keep talking about is four years ago, I got the sense that she was like 18 or 19. Like, not okay, quite right, that an makes adult. Sense. Right. Not quite there, but now she's, you know, and so, but like the town around the estate, oh, knows that the ladyship likes to drive fast in her little sports car. Right. So, um, anyway, so they drive, uh, um, show how, describe this picture of her zooming through the country roads heading to London. And then a guy staggers out in front of her and she tries to miss him, but then, he falls down. So she's like, Oh my God, I hit him. I killed a man. And then, um, right before he died, he says seven. Okay, dials. She pulls over and she's trying to help him. And then he's like, tell, no, he's like seven dials. Tell Jimmy Thessinger. Right. And so then she by herself puts dead guy in her car and drives. And they through. keep referring to how, like, although she's, you know, small, that she's very strong. There's a lot of references to her strength in this. So she pulls dead guy into her car and like drives to a doctor. Right. And then the doctor's like, you didn't hit him. He was shot. And this is Ronnie Devereaux. Which, why did the doctor know that? Because he had a thing in his pocket or something. Oh. He had ID. Identification. Yes. <laughs> so, but then, um, again, the tone is like, holy shit. Like, this is dark now. Yeah. You know, we're like, hey, how did this, you know, this is another young person who's a friend of Bill's. And I will say in the book's defense, because it seemed a little bit like hokey that the guy died at her house and then like this random guy runs out in the road in front of her car and she hits him. But when she leaves the house to go to London, she tells her dad and one adventure and he's like, careful what you wish for kind of stuff. And so like, I feel like there is a through chain of Agatha Christie's work of like, Right, you know, it. manifesting, and if you want adventure, it will come to you. And so, like, I feel like that was consistent because it, it the can the uh, coincidences would have been like, why did this keep happening around Bundle for absolutely no reason? So I felt like the fact that she was like, I want adventure, and then like this guy dies in her arms. Yeah, because the the book the book just sort of like owned that by saying it was because she was trying to manifest adventure. Yeah, because the likelihood, I mean, sure, Jerry was killed at her house because um spoiler jimmy turns out to be the bad guy jimmy did it but the likelihood of her driving from chimneys through the countryside to london 
And Ronnie, who'd been shot by Jimmy, happens to stumble out after being shot by Jimmy in the countryside she happens to be driving through. That's a little bit of a leap there. It was a leap. So that's why I feel like the book explained that by the fact that she was out there looking for trouble. Yeah. And then she and her father had a conversation about it. Right. And, the you know, the dad was like, well, so careful looking for trouble. You're going to find it. And then. Yeah. Yeah. So- she did. Because otherwise that would have been a huge leap. And like, yeah, you said the, the British countryside is probably, I don't know, big. <laughs> and the this murderer's second victim falls into your lap. Yeah. Of the same person that was killed in your house. Like, that's a little bit of a leap. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, the other funny thing is when she gets home and tells her father, I just ran over a guy, but he was shot. And then he's like, you... <laughs> you shouldn't shoot people. And she's like, you I didn't shoot him. That is the funniest dialogue. She's like, I ran over a man, but turned out he was shot. She was like, well, don't shoot people. And she's like, I didn't shoot him. And I didn't run him over. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And then she's like mocking her father for not listening, but she's literally not making any sense. Right. And, and so she's making it sound like he's thick for not understanding the fact that she's like, I ran him over and shot him, but it wasn't me. Right. So, so yeah, I, I, that that series of dialogue just made me really laugh. Right. So I, yeah, I really appreciated that one. Um, I also, I wanted to look up, what was the kind of her car? Hispano. Yeah, the Hispano. She's always talking about the Hispano. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Did I mean, you find it? I did. And it looks um, like a gorgeous, rich 1920s car. Oh, well, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll have to send you a picture of what I just found. Um, okay. So uh, anyway, back to the story. Me so Bundle at- then is like, okay, she talks to Bill finally and is like, Bill, all this shit's going down. Do you know Jimmy Thessinger? I have a dying man's wish for him, although she doesn't tell him that at that point. And and she's like, uh, yeah, but I'm going to be super jealous about you going to see him. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to see him and in the, they're, they're both waiting. And again, this is kind of a comedic scene where like, he's not up yet because they, all these, you know, rich young men sleep late. She gets there and who turns out to be Lorraine Wade, the stepsister of the first dead guy is waiting to see Jimmy. And then she's waiting to see Jimmy and Jimmy's like waking up at 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. or whatever. And so, yeah, and I love the that little dialogue with him and his butler because his he, a butler says a young woman is here to see you, and he's waking up and he's hungover and apparently he came in at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. Right, something. And he and then he's Ooh, like, what? I'm looking at the Hispano you sent me. Yeah. Isn't Look at that car. I want one. I know. So the imagine like the fanciest 1920s car you've ever seen. Like audience, since you can't see it. Or just look up a 1929 Hispano. That's what I did. That that's that's something to see. Yeah. That was yeah, that's nice. So but um anyway, so uh his butler was like um leaves and then comes back and said there's another young lady to see you and he's like wait what did i do last night and he's like you came in at 5 a.m and you were singing rule britannia britannia and he's like oh okay 
did I put out a notice for a governess or something? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is. It's very comedic. But, you know, what's weird about that to me, knowing the end. So now, by the end, we know that Jimmy's the bad guy and he and Lorraine are up to something. Why would he be surprised that Lorraine's at his house? Um, and then... Well, okay, so I, I went back, I, I listened again twice to try to, like, answer a lot of those questions for myself where I was, like, wanted to be Megan Agatha Christie. So, like, in that case, it's because Bundle had sent Lorraine the letter that she found from her brother-slash-boyfriend. Right. And so I think receiving that and knowing that Bundle had seen it threw Lorraine off. So she shows up at Jimmy's house. And I feel like because it's like old timey and you can't just like call, text someone or whatever, you might just show up. I mean, they do have phones. Right, right. But yeah. So it seemed like she could have just called him. But I, I, I felt like that was the panic. Like that's why she showed up was like, I got this letter. How do we handle this? Fair, fair. And then... Because that was, I had that question as well. Like you said, because they're they're booze, so why is he shocked that she's there? Right, and then you know the other interesting thing is when you reread it, um, and you know that they're together, but they're kind of keeping it secret, because um, like Jimmy told Ronnie when they went to tell Lorraine about Gerald's death, he's like, I danced with her once or twice. Yeah. Um, and but then it's clear that she smiles at Ronnie and Jimmy's like, you know, jealous. So yeah. dance with her once. And he twice. even says, he even says like the, when he sees her, he's like, the reason I can't tell the difference between Helen and Nancy is because right, I'm right. obsessed with the rain. So like, they kind of own the fact that like, it's not even like an objective thing that these women are interchangeable. It's just that Jimmy, whose perspective we're reading from at the beginning of the book only has eyes for Lorraine. Right. So, but the other interesting thing about, like, when you reread it and you know that they're together, um, apparently Lorraine was like, Bundle's here to tell us about the letter. Also about Ronnie's death. Like, she's trying to make sure that they control the narrative and not tell Bundle too much. Right. Um, And that's what's interesting, because at this point, there sort of starts this thruple of the three of them being crime fighting Avengers mystery right. fighters together, but at the end, and uh, you know, you're kind of shocked as a reader to find out the first time that the whole time Lorraine and Jimmy are together, and they're ruthless stealer killers who kill people, including her brother slash boyfriend and his best friend. Well, I don't think that- without qualms, right? And that the whole time they're doing this, like investigating with bundle. They're like, oh, Jimmy, I can't believe that just happened. Let, like they're, they're, playing, they're playing in front of her right, the entire right. time. And that's the thing, like, I, I mean, I guess you could be taken in, but like Bundle seems smart. And so it seems like, it seems surprising that they're such smart sociopaths that they can totally trick her that way. Well, and it, they must, I mean, because they didn't tell Jer- Jerry, the brother. By the way, I don't think they were boyfriend girlfriend i think she was friendly to him and he was in love with her but i don't think that that anything happened besides that you know what i mean like um i think that jerry was- well then why did why did she help him so much like because like 
Why did Jerry? Uh, no, why did Lorraine help Jerry? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're right. So you're saying not Jimmy and Lorraine. You're saying Jerry. Lorraine and and Jerry, her brother. Right. We're never. We're like, not a thing. We're okay. Not a thing. I just thought the tone of his letter. Right. Her tone was implied in implied intimacy that was mutual. Oh. It didn't sound like, oh dear, I hope you come around one day. It sounded like we're booze and we're right. I'm writing this letter, but you're right. I guess you could interpret it either way. Because I was thinking that he's protective of her as a brotherly way but also falling in love with her that's so gross so gross sorry <laughs> uh well it's not like they were cousins like in yeah, other books okay um anyway i know it's better slash worse because <laughs> they're they're siblings but not related right right but like not you can biological. be not related to your sibling and it'd still be gross right you know what i mean like right yeah, totally so a lot of um but yeah, so who knows? Who knows if Jerry and Lorraine were actually like consummating anything? But there was definitely energy there, right. at least on his side. Well, she didn't. Well, she didn't kibosh because like he, the tone of his letter was, "My darling, my darling, I'll talk to you soon." Right. So it didn't sound one-sided, which again, you know, dudes can be obtuse. So maybe it, you know, maybe it was one-sided, but or maybe for her purposes of being in an evil crime couple with Jimmy, you know, kind of... If we're, if we're Bonnie and Clyde-zing, I will do my best to lead on whoever. Right. So it's our, Which yeah. she apparently did with Ronnie as well, and that's how both of the Ronnie and Jerry got killed. Um, because Lorraine told Jimmy what they were up to. Right. So maybe she was very good at sort of, like, leading guys on and then getting them killed. Right. So, um, awesome. so we had found out from Lord Catterham that George Lomax had received a warning letter from Seven Dials about this upcoming again weekend getaway, and- which I had major questions about. And on my third read, I finally heard. Uh, we'll come to it at the end of the resolution, but we heard it. Uh, is it battle? Battle superintendent battle he finally did he 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 said out of his mouth the reason for that right that he yeah that the letter got sent so that battle would be invited yeah to protect yeah the whole thing so but it was like this warning letter from the seven dials right like threatening letter so what's interesting about this dinner party is this seemed a lot more like the ones in the crown right it didn't have a bunch of random young people it was supposed to have uh sir oswald because he's a steel magnet, uh, magnate, not magnet, not the kind, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> not um, a alphabet set on your fridge. <laughs> right. Um, uh, a German uh, inventor dude and his secretary. Who apparently, in reference to our previous episode about Elizabeth Shue and cold fusion, always has a formula with him. Right, like, why can't he go and not bring the formula? Why but can't I he leave it at home and the negotiate? Din- the dinner party was for the formula, so he was supposed to bring it. What is he supposed to keep it in the cloud? Well, yeah, because like if you're there to like talk about it, you can because it's about he's negotiating if they're going to buy it or not. But like, I don't know if like these non scientists are going to look at the formula and be like, "Aha, I get it." Like, 
Yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just seemed weird that he brought it with him. I mean, I guess it was a good plot tool, but I was like, he's keeping it in his bra, like it was in his shoe. Like, what? Why is the formula there with him at this random weekend? But I, yeah. And then they invited a woman med- member of co- parliament, um, which George Lomax clearly had mixed feelings about because he's like, I appreciate political women, but I don't actually like it when they run their member. I want of them to be wives. But uh, Mrs. Makata specialized in like uh, suffering children who, yeah, she took on as a member of parliament, her pet project was about suffering children somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, And then there was supposed to be a Hungarian countess. And then so Jimmy and Bundle decide, hey, what if we get ourselves invited to this party? by pretending to be interested in the politics and then we see what happens that exciting and then um wait and yeah help me here okay so what was the draw on the surface like not for jimmy and his sociopathic self but like on the surface with his play with bundle and bundle with him why do they want to go to this weekend because seven dials tells jimmy thiesinger he needs to protect the party from Seven Dials. Remember, the message from Ronnie was Seven Dials tell Jimmy Thiesinger. Or yeah. Whatever. Um, and so they go... Wait, and because they'd heard the, the rumor that there was a threatening letter from the Seven Dials about this party, like... Yeah. Huh? So... Remember, Lord Catterham knew about the letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, considering that George Lomax is like, never tell any secrets, this is clearly right. a secret that now everybody knows. Um, well, like, yeah, so, so Lord Catterham knows about that from George Lomax. And then there, and like, I just, I just can't, I can't quite Jimmy. figure, yeah, I can't quite figure out how it was important to the Jimmy Bundle. Well, they were side of things to go to this party because they were like Seven Dials is going to do something at this party. Okay, okay. And then they were I can, like, I can buy that. And then they were like, and then it, and then and when you actually know the secret that Jimmy's a sociopath or whatever, that Jimmy's like great because I will actually steal the formula. Right. He was like, ooh, this is a reason. He's like, while I'm at it, while I'm in the middle of heat for two murders. And fake investigating with a person who wants to find me out. I'm going to just steal some more stuff. Well, I think his plan was always to go to that party. Um, or always to steal it. But now he, ha- he could steal it as a member of the weekend party. But how did he... Did he even know about the party before that? Because Bundle's the one that told him about it. I think he knew about the party. He just didn't know that Seven Dials had sent the letter. Because he must have been planning... Yeah, this is I. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. I just I just have questions. Yeah, there's questions. So, um, bundles uh, goes to visit Superintendent Battle, who she knows from four years ago, and is like, "Tell me about Seven Dials." And he's like, "It's a seedy neighborhood in London." Oh, I forgot. I was going to look up and see if it was actually still a neighborhood in London. Um, and then it has a nightclub there. And then, uh, oh, but and she's like, "Tell me about it." And he's like, "Nope." Now, this is one of those things because she says Ronnie Devereaux mentioned seven, seven dials as he was dying. 
And that quote is all she says. And at the end of the book, Battle says to her, when you told me that Ronnie Devereaux said, tell uh, Seven Dials tells Jimmy Thiesinger, I knew that it meant that Jimmy was bad. But they never in the book have her say that. She just says, did you know Ronnie mentioned Seven Dials when he died? Oh. But she never says the rest of the message, which is the important part. She never says the quote. Um, at least in that. And then at the end of the book, he refers to it like, oh, I knew it meant Jimmy was the bad guy. Oh, so that's a that's a that's a hole where like she needed to say the quote. Right. And so I don't know why. Yeah. So that bugged me. But like he she it's always bugged me. Like she should have said. Had had him say she should have said the whole quote. Said yeah. the whole quote, and maybe Battle could have done one that one of his eye raises, not eye raises, you know. <laughs> um, but so it, subtle, as Sox would say, right? Um, so, but then Battle was like, "Well, Bill knows about Seven Dials," and she was like, "What, Bill?" Yeah, what? well, no. So, so Bundle's like, "Hey, um, Superintendent Battle, can you tell me about all the secret organizations?" And he's like, "No." And then she's like, well, can you tell me about Seven Dials? And he's like, um, ask Bill. And she's like, Bill, he's a goofball. And then she's like, well, ask him about Seven Dials. Also, you might get a boyfriend. <laughs> that, okay, that's much later. Um, but yeah, so then... No, he says it all in the eyebrows. It's all in the eyebrows, the boyfriend the, part. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes out with Bill... And takes them to the CD nightclub and gambling den, which again, imagine a very 1920s. Now, in the United States. And they, and they keep saying that also, like, it was a hot club for a while, but now it's not. So it's kind of like a club that, like, the, the who's who is not going anymore, but it's like, it's not a very mixed. There was Ladies of the Night. There was, uh, I guess we should say, there was sex workers. Yeah. Well, and also, I think I, Bill said it wasn't a thing anymore. Um, that it wasn't. Oh, but he might have just been saying that because he didn't want to. Right, right. So, but then up. he took her there and they danced and they went to the gambling and it was packed. So, and apparently it gets raided. So, but then she's surprised because she recognizes the doorman because he had been a footman at Chimneys. What is a footman, Portia? No idea. Okay. I know a footman is below Butler. Like, but- Butler is like top dude. Is it like the bar back of house staff? <laughs> I know that that from and only from watching. You know, that, like the entry level of house staff. It might be. I I. What I know about these things, I know from watching Downton Abbey. <laughs> I could never get through that. Yeah. Um. So, but I know the butler is the top male, and then there's other ones below, and footman might be i don't remember exactly where footman is compared to like chauffeur or you know yeah um but yeah so she goes there and she's at seven dials club so she recognizes and, and she's like oh hey it's alfred let me threaten him a lot no she just no not right away <laughs> not she later just says, he just says that <laughs> the guy came to chimneys on a tour one of the public tours because it's a state and it was like hey I'll give you a bunch of money if you leave right now and I'll send a replacement. Um, and she had already found out because she had a gossip with the head housekeeper, which is the head woman of the house, that uh, there was a new footman who his name is John Bauer, who 
had started at Chimneys while uh, Coot had been living there. <coughs> um, no relation. We have a our 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 great grandparents' last name was Bauer, but that was our step great grandfather. Step great grandfather, yeah. Um. So then, um. Then she, uh, I remember that she has this interesting conversation with uh, Jimmy, and says, "Hey, I found out about." the seven dials nightclub but i got in and we're gonna go to the party next weekend he's like cool and she's like i'm gonna go to bed and he's like me too and then the book is like they're both lying sacks of shit um i think christy would never say that but she would not she would say ass uh, she would say ass that he jimmy was going out to dinner with lorraine and bundle had a whole other wacky idea where she goes back to seven dials asks alfred to take her now's when she starts threatening alfred a lot she's like alfred i own you i can ruin your life so sneak me into this secret room of your new boss who's paying you all this money and sneak me in and hide me in a cupboard right so she finds the room it has seven chairs and a round table and then alfred by the way i looked up footman and it's a liveried that's a new word for me and i look up that one a liveried (laughs) servant whose duties include admitting visitors and waiting at a table. Okay, so like sir, uh, waiter and door opener. Okay. And liveries um, doesn't come up. How are you going to use a definition, Google, and then like use the word, and then when I look it up, it's like, that's not a word. You used it. That was your <laughs> word. Rude. Rude. <laughs> so... Um, she uh, a uh, liveried servant is one who wears a special uniform. Oh, so yeah. So the liveried footman wears a uniform. Okay. See, we're learning. We're learning. More you know. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> so um, he says that he had to dust this secret room, and so she's like, "Oh, you dusted it." Dun, that dun, means dun. there's gonna be a meeting. So she's like. There's a cupboard here I can hide in. Take all this stuff and hide it someplace. And he starts having anxiety attacks. because The whole time. She's continually threatening him the whole time. Because he's in his job. And she's like, you used to work for me. And I am a pretentious person. So I'm just going to keep threatening you to do what I want. And and so she's like, okay, bring me a a tool so that I could make an eye hole. And he's like, what? So she makes an eye hole. And then he's, she's like, okay, lock me in. But before that, bring me a cocktail. That's my favorite part about that. Right. Where she's like, I'm going to be she's here like, for hours. She's so like, yeah, drink- she's literally torture where she's standing and can't sit for hours and hours. And but after the gimbal, which she gets to, to make the eye hole, she, she's like, now a cocktail. <laughs> so I'm going to be here for a minute. Right. <laughs> which I love. So. And then she waits there for hours, and then they do have a secret mass at like two a a secret meeting with masks on their faces at two a.m. And now we can wait till the big reveal to ask this question, or I can do it now. Clearly, I'm gonna do it now because I have feelings. <laughs> Why do they wear Babs? the clock masks? I don't Why know. like? Why are they wearing the clock masks? Why are there seven dials? Why is there seven? Why are they wearing these clock masks? who made the clock masks like can't they just have a secret society and like call the seven dials but maybe there's six or 14 of them like 
Why do they have to have positions and why do they have to have cloth masks? Why the mask? The mask, <laughs> it just makes it so cheesy. And like at some point at the end when, when Battle is like, I know it's it's actually only in books when there's like an evil organization with a secret bad guy, but there's there are secret organizations with good guys, but why the mask? Why do they wear the, <laughs> I don't know. the dumb mask? And what's great about this is she's watching them with their cloth masks and then they have a meeting talking about this upcoming weekend and they don't mention how bad Jimmy is. They just call him an ass again. Um, somebody else calling him an ass. Uh, and they're all very asking for number one or number seven. Wait, I forget. Which number seven. Number, number seven. seven. Yeah. And so they're like, where's number seven? Does he even exist in that way that is a cliche? And then they're all planning. And they also had a salute with their secret cloth mask with everybody with a different number. Wait, I don't remember the salute. I didn't catch that part. Tell me. Oh, I can't. They, she, she just describes it as a weird hand movement. She doesn't really say what it is. <laughs> so. Um, well, anyway. we did see in the research for this, I did see there was a 1981 uh, movie of this. So we may need to watch it and see how they interpret it. That uh, hand yeah, movement. Seriously. Uh, so anyway, so like the whole thing is ridiculous. And then the next day she's driving to the, uh, Oh, and then everything they say in this meeting, they're like, Oh yeah. Um, they seem really callous about the dead people. Right. Which when it turns out that, you know, the dead people are part of their organization, it seems strange that they're just like yeah we haven't heard from number two seems like and then like I don't know and then they, they reference Ronnie Devereaux and they seem like yeah we're trying to spread false rumors about how he died like they, they seem very callous there's no like poor little liquor out moment and that seems and like they use his whole name and like I don't know at what point they don't refer to him as number two and take off his mask is I don't know right I have and questions yeah, I, and so uh, what I love about this ridiculously scene where she's hiding in a cupboard with her cocktail watching these cloth mask people is that the next day she's describing it to Jimmy and he was like, are you making this up? Like, <laughs> right. this sounds fake. And the right. whole rest of the book, whenever they refer to that moment, they're like, this sounds fake. Yeah. You know, and it was like, because this... It sounds fake. Right. And that's the thing, I guess that would be my thing with this movie is because like, like with anything where there's a twist, which again, there's a lot of, a lot of Agatha Christie movies or books now, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, more modern things. Once you know the twist, it's nice to go back and re consume it, knowing the twist and see how it all adds up. And I had trouble with that with this book. Cause then I went back and bundle was in the cupboard and I knew the twist it didn't quite work. Right. Like it was, it was like, they didn't, I was like, Oh, you want them to be able to sound like good guys, but you just don't realize it. Like, no, they still sound like jerks. Right. Like, right. It's, it's just hard. Like, I think when it's really, and when it's really well written, you know, the twist and you go back and you're like, ha ha. And she does that with Jimmy. With Jimmy, she does a good job of being like, Jimmy felt nervous. And when you go back, 
knowing that he's a killer, you realize he's nervous because he's a killer. Whereas before you're thinking like he's nervous because he thinks he's going to get killed. Like all those moments with Jimmy line up really well, but there's definitely moments where it like, it works on the first read, but when you know the twist and you go back, it just feels a little awkward. Right. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. So the whole seven does dial of society, not knowing who each other is and wearing the clock mask. <laughs> because of these clock masks. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So, but they, one important thing is that there's a woman with a mole on her exposed shoulder ba- blade. Um, she loves an exposed something. She never has clothes on in this whole book. Yeah. Right. So, which uh, apparently, I mean, she's beautiful. So, I mean, you know, if you got it, where your well, your shoulder blades out, girl. I'm not judging. So, and then they were talking, and about she's why. number one. She's number one in the meeting. And they were talking about why everybody wants to go is because this German guy has invented a formula which could strengthen metals, revolutionizing airplane manufacturing. So, um, anyway, so the whole thing is about you know. Oswald Coat and the and this formula stuff. And so Bundle and Jimmy drive together to the weekend and they meet the British Air Minister. Oh, he's the other one. The secretary of the Air Minister, the Hungarian Countess, Superintendent Battle is there. Uh, Pretending is there. to be a servant or something, but no one's fooled. Right. Bill is there working for Mr. Lomax. Mr. Lomax is there. And, um, so then, uh, Bundle and Jimmy were like plotting, like, okay, we're just going to watch over and watch for seven dials. And then they get there and they're hanging out. And then Jimmy's like, I had to tell Bill what's going on. And Bundle's annoyed because she says that Bill will just screw it up. But now that we know the secret that, um, Jimmy's the bad guy, we can't figure out why the hell would Jimmy tell Bill? Right. Like, why did Jimmy bring Bill in on it? On this fake sleuth thing when Jimmy's the bad guy? Because now he's going to have more people looking he's for trying... the bad Right. Yeah. And then, like, having to, like, coordinate his lies. And, like, yeah. And Bundle was like, I don't know if you should have done that. The whole time, and it definitely benefited her that, she, that he did. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make and, any and sense. you weren't you weren't able to either figure out why no I could Jimmy ever told that. Bill yeah I mean I guess Bill kept on saying why are you here and so Jimmy didn't have a real reason I mean his real reason was actually to steal the formula but he had to give a reason reason which was they were being big sleuths so, so that maybe- could have worked like yeah. So maybe it just need to be explained a little bit better to be like, oh yeah, I had to come up with a reason because so that's why I told Bill. Yeah. The other th- funny thing was in order for Bundle to get invited, she had to go visit her aunt who loved politics and right. tell her aunt how much she loved politics. And that scene is hilarious because her aunt is clearly like a woman who could get anything done and had thought that Bundle was a frivolous 20s girl who just liked to party all the time, which she was. Which she is, and, slash was. And um, said, oh, she must have had a bad love affair, a love affair gone wrong. That always made girls much more serious. And it was kind of funny where she's like, oh, good. Have you have your heart broken? Good. Then you're going to stop partying around. <laughs> right. Anyway. So... 
then the whole thing where both Jimmy and Bundle are pretending to be interested in politics, but everybody knows it's terrible. Like that was kind of a funny, like, yeah, undercurrent. Yeah, that was there um, again. There's so many good comedic elements. I have a question. Yes. Can we take a break for editing and the bathroom? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. We'll pause right. it. We, we're actually done right. a whole an hour. Okay. I'll yeah. Turn it off. We're gonna pause and uh, I'll be right back. So we were talking about why the heck. So maybe there was a reason because Jimmy had to justify his why he was there, and Bill's like, "Why are you here?" So, so he came had to come up with it as a reader. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so they decide that since the air minister, the British air minister, is only going to be there one night, um, they must whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and so Jimmy and Bill agree to keep watch. And they tell Bundle that she has to be a, a good girl and stay in bed because it's dangerous. Which is the same thing that Bundle and Jimmy told Lorraine uh, much earlier when they were planning about going. Right. And it turns out that all of the women were like, yeah, whatever. You can tell me not to come, but I'm going to uh, ignore you. Right. So um, they're supposed to be doing first watch. Jimmy's supposed to be doing first watch. And it's interesting because he does have an, a moment where he's imagining Jerry Wade being dead and being eaten by worms. And he's kind of like feeling icky about it, which later when you realize that he was the killer, it's like, is he feeling... It makes more sense, yeah. Is he feeling remorse or just... Because you think when you read it the first time that he's feeling scared. But... Uh, you know, so it's interesting. He's an it makes more dude. sense, yeah. Because, like, if a friend of mine died, I would probably have feelings, but I might not, like, spiral into their dead body decomposing. But if I was the killer... Right. That might happen more. So you're right. That does sort of foreshadow that. So then he hears a noise and he goes to investigate. Now, what I love, love about this story about Bundle is that they were like, no, 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 you're a woman. You'll be, it'll be dangerous. You have to go take care of yourself. Um, she's like, okay, whatever. And she's a little bit annoyed that Bill doesn't realize that she's full of crap. But basically, she changes her clothes, and they describe that she doesn't have good climbing clothes because she's wearing riding breeches and a couple of random things that she was like, her maid would have been surprised if her maid had packed for her. So she packed for herself so she could do this. Right. And then she climbs the Ivy outside. It's 2 AM. Which they described that she grew up doing that. So it's like not a big deal. Cause they were just like wild, rich girls climbing all over the place. But like, I've seen a lot of Ivy on old houses and I've never, I would thought- never think I could climb on that. Right. So uh, anyway, so she climbs the ivy and goes down and then immediately runs into superintendent battle. Um, And then that guy's everywhere. And then she goes to find Jimmy and can't find him. And then she goes to find Bill and can't find him and went to and the countess room by mistake. And she's not there. And then she hears a fight and two gunshots. And then we hear that Lorraine gets up. At a certain time, which when we find out that she's the part of the bad guy plot, it makes much more sense. But I love that, that she, you know, gets up, talks to her dogs. They keep talking about Lorraine's dogs. Like, those are important. They do. They do. 
and then um, drives to this small town, gets out and starts going towards the house and the papers fall down to her feet and she picks them up and she tries to leave and runs into superintendent battle. Right. Um, And then we hear this fight. Um, and then where am I? I lost my train of thought. Okay. So then there's a, there's gunshots and everybody comes in and Jimmy's been shot and the countess is fainted. And the story is that there was, that Jimmy was down there and that he fought with someone and there was gunshots and Jimmy's been shot in the arm and that the, one of the shells almost hit the countess and she thought she almost got shot. So she fainted. And there's right. all these inferences about Bill being into the Countess and how Bundle is like kind of jealous of that. But turns right. out they were actually both members of the secret face-covering organization. So his concern was more like, don't say the wrong thing as you come out of being fainted and forget your accent. Right. So, but yeah, it, you could tell Bundle gets so annoyed whenever Bill is like hanging out with the Countess. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so there, there's a scene and Jimmy's like, I've been shot and I, I tussled with a guy and he ran out the window and the Countess is coming from being, from fainting. And I guess, did she really faint? I guess she really fainted. She did really faint. And so that's why they were worried because that was not part of the plot. So Bill didn't want her to wake up and talk like, I can't stand him. Right. (laughs) Nice, (laughs) nice. Yes, good, good. uh, He's like, Countess, take your time, Countess. Remember who you are. (laughs) Right. Remember you're in character. Um, And so they she tells the story that she overheard the fight and she heard two voices and there's a big struggle and then the two gunshots and then Jimmy was shot and then he And you made a good point. Gun. You made a good point. It was like why could we find out that it turns out Jimmy just shot himself and faked the second guy? But why did he fake a second voice? Because he, he didn't know she was in the really room. complicated plot. So his plot was he was gonna tell Bill it was on watch. He was going to go into the library. He was going to climb from the library up the ivy. There was all sorts of people climbing. So much ivy climbing. Into the room where the formula was. Drop the formula down to a Lorraine. And she's just supposed to leave. And then he would go into the library and cause a big ruckus trying to get everybody to the library. Um. I'm guessing that he was supposed to be causing a distraction. So everybody's going to the library. Um, Okay. I was wondering that was was the plan always to shoot himself. Right. And so he had two guns. He had the one that he'd asked his butler to buy him, which was his official gun. And that's who he shot randomly into the library and the shell um, uh, almost hit the countess. And then he had his undercover secret. I'm the real criminal gun which he used his left hand to shoot. He was wearing a glove on his left hand, shot himself in the right arm. And then threw it out the window. And then threw the gun out the window, pulled the glove off with his teeth, threw the glove into the fireplace, and then pretended to fate when everybody broke into the, <coughs> into the library. Okay, so that was always the plan. The Lorraine getting hit, almost running into battle was the part where it went all wrong. 
Right. Because but Jimmy was, was to... always going to make a ruckus in the room. Right. Because then he's the hero who tried to stop the thief. But then. Um, that makes instead, sense. Yeah. Instead of being because how could he be accused if he actually got into a fight and got shot by the thief? Right. Okay. So okay. The, causing sense. the ruckus makes sense to me and the two guns make sense to me and Lorraine just sneaking up, getting the package and driving away. That all makes sense to me. But apparently when he was causing the ruckus in the library, he used his regular voice and then a fake uneducated voice. Raspy uneducated. Yeah. And I, we rereading this when you're like, wait a minute. He, how could he possibly known that the countess was in the library with him? He could have not possibly known that. And so, like, that's weird to me because it's like, wait, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but anyway, so that's an interesting question. Um, so then there's this whole thing because the scene is everybody's like, detective battle, you have been all over this place. How did this man get away? But turns out there was no man. Which is right. why he got away. Because right. the detective battle did have people everywhere. So that's why. Right. Which, you know, it's kind of convenient. Because whenever he says, he's like, I had men stationed. Well, if he had all these men stationed, that would bundle and mostly bundle. Because, uh, but also Bill and the Countess, now that we know they're part of the Seven Dials. What did they think they were going to do? There's that superintendent there with a bunch of men. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Amateur sleuths for fun? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't really make any sense to have the official police and the fake amateur police there all working to save this one formula. Right. And then, you know, they still don't catch Jimmy. They get the formula because Lorraine's just like, I just showed up because I didn't want to miss out on the action instead of like, I'm, you know... I showed up because I was supposed to pick up the formula and drive away. So she right. had an answer. And Bundle immediately, she sees a mole on the back of the countess and says, oh, my God, she's the one who was wearing the mask. She was supposed to pick up the formula. And right. so, then, like, so there's a big scene where Bundle's like, Detective Battle, I have to tell you, I went to this club and I hid in a cupboard and there's a secret society and there was a mole and the lady has a mole. And Battle's like, whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> Right, and so Battle's like, what the hell? I gave you a hint about talk to Bill, and the next thing I know, you actually watched a meeting? Right. Um, And then... And meanwhile, like, yeah, he knows all about the secret society, and he's trying to figure out, like, how much to tell Bundle, because she is on the right side. But but she's... She's 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 fucking shit up, because she knows it, but doesn't know it. And she's all friends with Jimmy, and he's probably just thinking, oh my god, another bored... um, a rich girl who's getting in my way. I mean, battle is right. So, but he does, for some reason, talk about all the clues the next morning with everybody. You know, the glove and the yeah. And you wonder why and... he does that. Like he doesn't have to disclose to everybody all that stuff, right? Like he's just like, oh, you know. So then Jimmy gets the coots to invite him to. Yeah. Another... So now there's a third sleepover. So Jimmy just sleeps over a lot because there was sleepover one with the actual seven dials, like with the, with the alarm clocks. Right. Right. And there was sleepover two, which we just had with the formula. And now Jimmy gets invited again to the coots new house because he likes lady coot think that he's into socks. 
because he right. likes subtle. He likes but, things that are subtle. And but I have no idea why because he tells Bundle it's because he's trying to get uh, because he suspects Sir Oswald of being number seven and he does a search and he does all this stuff and he gets Lorraine and Bundle to show up for lunch. But why in Jimmy sociopath does he go? And that's the thing. When you go back and you're like, okay, for like, yeah, for the actual plot, when you know the twist and you go back and you read it, you're like, what? And then, and I w- the narrator does say at some point, like he looks through and he's looking for information about the formula or information about Sir Oswald or about Seven Dolls and Number Seven. So maybe it is at this point is about an obsession with finding Number Seven because he does sort of fixate on that. Yeah, so maybe he thinks. Or he did se- say information about the formula because he didn't get the formula. Right, that's true. So now he's just desperately looking because he thought he was going to get a bunch. But of you're money. right. It, it is. It does seem a little weak. Yeah. And, you know, it's a funny scene where he's sneaking around and searching and then Pongo finds him and Pongo doesn't like him. Uh, and Pongo's like, why are you out of bed? And he was like, I went to get biscuits. And he's like, there's biscuits in your room because apparently when you go to a fancy dinner party, they just leave biscuits, which I think they mean cookies, right? They do. They do. They make cookies. Um, but there are, you know, biscuits in your room you could eat. And he was like, there actually uh, isn't. I have them here in my pocket. And then he goes back to the room with him he's like are there really because pongo can- actually checks to make sure that the tin by his bed was actually empty like pongo is on this he knows that jimmy's no good and so then jimmy has to eat all of the biscuits that not only that he picked up from the kitchen but also that he had hidden in the room so he has to eat a whole bunch of biscuits in the middle of the night and that's kind of funny it is funny and well, i think you're right about the whole like it is interesting because like it is it's a comedic book but there's so many people that die that it just makes it hard. Right. Because, like, you, yeah. yeah, I think because, you're, you're right about that. And especially since in like Tommy and Tuppence being young people in the 20s partying and there are a couple of deaths, but A, they're not friends of theirs and B, um, they're sad about it. But in this case, it's like Jimmy kills friends of his. Yeah. And like, that's why he kills friends of his and like when it comes to Lorraine, it's like her brother who's sweet on her. Right. You know, so a person that she, in the, like he always, in the, the book says that he stays with her when he's in the area. Right. So the Jerry they're does, very yeah. close. And then like, and then uh, Devereaux is like the, the best friend of him. So it's like, these are people that you're close to so it's like the callousness because it's like just the people are just dying and there's just like ha 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 right right so that's what why the tone of it kind of bugs me in a way that uh the secret of chimneys or uh the the seven dials secret uh um partners in crime didn't yeah it just yeah it's a little bit jarring because you're so, right, because in Partners in Crime, when there's a death, it's like, oh, shit, someone died. And, like, they're upset for the whole chapter, the whole short story. Right, and they're not even friends with them. but they're And they're not upset. even making, like, yeah, and they don't, like, make light of it. It's a good point. So, anyway, um, we're coming to the ending climax here, which... Bill, uh, We've already spoiled. <laughs> uh, but Bill goes to Jimmy's place and tells him he got a letter from Ronnie. And cut to um 
Jimmy wings up bundle and says, he says, meet me and Bill at the seven dials. Um, and so they go. You might be hearing people yelling outside my window. <laughs> A little bit. People enjoying themselves, enjoying the summer, enjoying bit. the night. Yes. They're woohooing a lot. You know, hot summer nights tend to bring that out in people. I noticed. <laughs> I hope they have their masks on as they yeah. are enjoying right. their nights. <laughs> um, so the anyway, so they show up at the nightclub and it's the middle of the day. There's no one there um, in the nightclub. And if you've ever been in a nightclub in the middle of the day, it's kind of sad and pathetic looking. Um, it's gross. It's just gross. gross. And then you're like, oh, God, I need to come here when I have a drink and it's dark because I don't want to actually <laughs> I don't like know what this actually looks like in the daytime. It's so yeah, terrible. It's pretty terrible. But anyway, so they um, uh, there and they go into the room. But then Lorraine's like, something's wrong with Bill and he's unconscious. And then Jimmy runs to get a doctor. And then somebody knocks Bundle unconscious. And so it's like, dun, dun, dun. And then he, uh, she wakes up and Bill's So like, cute. This is so cute. So like Bundle wakes up and Bill's like, Bundle, Bundle, I love you. I love you. Bundle, Bundle. And like she pretends to still be passed out just to like hear all this love from him. And that's adorable. Right. And then I went insane. So like as the reader... The first time through, that seems cute, right? Where like Bill is like, "I love you, I love you, I love you," and she's like, "I'm gonna pretend to be passed out because he would never tell me this if he if I weren't about to die." But then, as a person who doesn't know what's happening, as the reader, it takes so long to get to the explanation of what the hell's going on, right? And like, right. there's all this like, "I love you, I love you, I love you." Like it, it goes on and on and it's cute, but I'm also like, you know, as a reader, you like action oriented, like I want to know what's happening. And <laughs> right. then, and then they keep, they just all these things happening where Bill's like, everything's fine. I'll explain it later. Go upstairs, get locked in a room. And then they like, super, and they're like the whole, it just takes so long and so much dialogue to get to what the hell's going on. And like the second time through, it was fine. Cause I knew so right. I'd be like, oh, this is a cute scene. But what I didn't know and like right. me and, and I'm, I'm sort of assuming bundle like me wants to know what the hell's going on right like, like why bundle are doesn't know either. and so i was just like okay bill it's cute let's get married i love you great but what the hell's going on <laughs> right and then she just walks in because apparently while she's locked in the room he manages to get the entire seven dials to show up to an emergency meeting right and then she walks in and they're like would you like to join the seven dials and she's like what the what? hell and then they start taking their masks off and Bill's one and superintendent battle is number seven. And then the countess is this American actress that Bill knew. So who was going out with Ronnie. Right. And it was just like, yeah, and it was fine. But just like as the reader, the first time I was like, oh my God, tell me the solution. Cause like, we're clearly at that point in the plot where like, you're going to tell us how it all works together but it just took so long to get there. And we're clearly there. There's nothing else plot-wise happening. But there, there's all the bundle and bill love. And I was like, okay, wrap it up. What's going right. on? What's like, going basically. on? And like, I would have enjoyed that scene if it had been after the resolution. Right. Like, what's right. going on? But like, as a reader, I was just like, I need to know who's the bad guy. What's going on here? Like, and then it was driving me crazy. The explanation, as you said, of the secret society with the masks 
is kind of disappointing because we still don't understand what the masks are. So basically, Jerry Wade had gone to Superintendent Battle and said, I want to be an amateur sleuth. Let me do it. Come on, come on. And then you got friends of his to join, apparently. And apparently, and like you never understood like why it got to be like the seven magical seven, like because clocks have 12 numbers. So, right, right. Is it because the neighborhood is called Seven Dials? So, like, why did it have to be seven people and why did they have to wear the cross masks? We don't know that. We just know that like Jerry Wade was like, let's do a secret society of do gooders for justice. And Superintendent Battle was like, and it helps because the amateur can get into places that people see as looking narcs and they right. don't let us in. But so, it didn't. And then, yeah, he re- so he recruited himself and, and then Devereaux. And Bill. And, and Bill. apparently other people who, yeah, we didn't quite catch all of the other people except for Babe St. Mauer. And then Babe St. Mauer, who was dating Ronnie. Devereaux. Right. So she took up position number one when Jerry, Jerry died. was, yeah. So, yeah. So, but the whole thing about why it was so melodramatic with the masks and stuff, was that just because Jerry was like, this seems like fun. Let's make it melodramatic. Right. You never got that. Like it was never like, and the masks represent this or it now is not an anonymity right. because like, it just never made any sense. Like it was just like, okay. Right. But they invite uh, Bundle to be number two? I can't remember. Whatever Ronnie used to be. Yeah. Number two. And then, yeah, Jimmy was trying to leave Bill and Bundle dead in the Seven Dials Club as like a message to Which again seemed like because he, he, he drugged Bill, but luckily Bill didn't actually drink the drink because he knew better. And then he clocked Bundle upside the head for real. But, but, like, again, just shoot both of them. It's one of those, like, evil villain things where it's like, I'm going to leave you in my lair for you not to die. Like, just shoot Bill and then shoot Bundle. Right. You have a gun. We, we determined this. That you've had you multiple, multiple guns. guns. Is this just the American in us that we're like, just shoot? <laughs> just, like, right? <laughs> right. Drug someone. Oh, sad. Yeah. Oh, that's the American perspective. Like, why are you dragging it out to shoot him? Right, totally. Yeah, that's because we're Americans. But like, luckily they survived because he had these like long, complicated plots to kill them versus just killing them. Right. Well, yeah, because um, he killed, tried to kill Bill in the same way that he killed Jerry. So Bill was like, "Aha!" Um, and he, when he hit Bundle, apparently because he had shot himself in the right arm, he was a lot weaker than he thought he was. So um, now we have to talk about the proposals. Okay. Because apparently, because Bundle interested expressed interest in uh, politics, George Lomax suddenly was like, "Oh my God, I need a wife." And, and meanwhile, about, he he's like her dad's age, and he's a gross old guy, five, five years younger than her dad. Right, he says that because, um, and so he comes in and asks for. Lord Catterham's permission to ask for her hand, which, you know, it's 29. And Lord Catterham's reaction was like, dude, you He's need to like, go I don't tell her what to do. Like, if, if she came in here and t- he literally said, if she came in here and told me she's going to marry the chauffeur, I'd say, okay. Like, 
he doesn't give blessing he's just like i don't i don't mess with her business whatever but she also does she he says do. you should take a walk <laughs> you should yeah. uh yeah it was hilarious because he's like um yeah i got it too what is it he goes um uh where is it um but you know lomax i really shouldn't if i were you just go home and think it over count to 20 all sort of things <laughs> you know, like... he's trying to save him from himself right right and then he was like yeah you could do it and i'm not gonna you know they could as long as Bundle doesn't bother me, she could marry whoever she wants. You have my permission. Well, that's but- what I thought was the funniest thing was because, like, George Lomax is like, do I have your permission? And he was like, mm-hmm. I don't tell Bundle what to do. If she came and t- told me she was marrying the chauffeur, which, again, in this class of society would be a big deal. Right. He'd be but- like, he was like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't tell her no. So basically, he's like, she does what she wants, but she doesn't want you, sir. And so, but yeah, that was hilarious where he's like, count to 20, take a walk. This is a bad idea. And then, you know. Lord Caterham is like the funniest part of this book, I think. Oh, he totally is. He totally is. And then he's, you know, and he goes, what has been bundled, what been up to? Like, what has she been saying? And then he tells Bill that Lomax is proposing. And that clearly was a kick in the ass to Bill. Like, right. Because Bill had talked about how she's great and she's so much fun and like, but that I, that this is one of the best, most believable love stories that I think I have. It really is. I totally agree. It's a believable love story because Because they've known each other forever. Because they've known each other. And And like, she thinks he's kind of dumb. And in the first book, when they met him, she's like 19 and he's a little bit older and he's flirting with Virginia who's a little bit older than he is and going out on a bunch of dates right so he's like they're not they're friends but they're like whatever right and then at the beginning of this book he's like oh she's so much fun doesn't everybody know her and people are like he's bringing him bringing her up at a at a party where she's not and people are like okay we get it about bundle and then she's annoyed whenever he's interested in the countess or talking about other uh, you're totally right this is one of the first love stories that wasn't just like weird at first sight like it was like this building sexual attention and like someone else giving you attention makes me realize i like you more which is terrible but so true like right right then bill all of a sudden was like wait george is proposing what the hell i would have loved to propose but I didn't think she had me. What the hell? And I do love because he says he's decrepit, senile, and Lord Catterham goes, he's five years younger than I am. But then you understand, yeah, wait, he's five years younger than her father, and he's right. proposing he to her. Want this guy? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, you ought to. Bill says, um, you ought to have told him what you thought of him. And Lord Catterham says, unfortunately, modern civilization I- rules that out. I mean, it's so great. It's so funny. Lord Catterham is hilarious. And then Bill's like freaking out. Um, and George, a disgusting windbag, an unscrupulous, hypocritical, old hot air merchant, a foul, poisonous advertiser. And Lord Catterham goes, go on. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So anyway. Um, yeah, that's super I, cute. It was super cute, and 
So, then, so basically, like, Bill would never, and the, the whole point of Bundle pretending to still be passed out when Bill is, like, lavishing all this love upon her is because, like, he never had the confidence to say this up to her when she was awake because, like, she's kind of great and super confident and all the things, and he does kind of come off like a dummy. Like, he doesn't have that great of self-esteem, and so, like, he never approached her in this way and so, like, when he's going on, like, bundle, bundle, I love you, I can't believe you're dead, blah, blah, blah. It's actually believable because he never had the confidence to approach her because she does seem very unapproachable. Like, right. she's, you know, you could see why he, she could be on a pedestal for him. And so that's why she continues to fake to be faint to get all of this out of him. And then it's cute because, like, after they're already, like, talking to each other and they're all like, yes, I love you, I love you. And then he starts to back off. And he, she's like, do I have to pretend to be dead again so that you'll, you know, be sweet again? Right. And, and again, so her believability, because she was kind of jealous along the way, and his believability that he was always like, she's so great, and then kicked into high gear because first, George proposed, and second, he thought she was dead. You know, like... So there was reasons why their relationship took these leaps forward. So- yeah, it really was more believable. And like you said, like, cause like he kept showing interest in the countess or in whoever. And Bundle was like, there was all these subtle things in the writing about how she was annoyed by that. Yeah. Without so- saying that she had feelings for him, but she was clearly annoyed when he had attention towards other women. Right. Which is right. just so realistic. Right. Right. <laughs> And especially since if they've known each other for years, you know, right. kind of, and he was a little bit older, but now she, yeah. So anyway, so I, I did like that as the, cause at the end of the story, she goes and tells her dad that she's getting married and he assumes that it's George Lomax, um, who then she calls George Lomax an ass because everyone has to be called an ass at some point. But also um, I think he is an ass. So she tells him that she's marrying Bill and he goes, Oh great. He's, he's a good match for golf or something. Right. Because Lord Catterham and he has to have the end of the story because he's the it's best so character. In it. He's, he's the best character in the story. It's super yeah. cute. So, um, I think what's, this is Agatha Christie going back to, cause now we're kind of moving on to themes, um, going back to young women who like adventure um and so but it's a little bit different because um her heroine was an aristocrat who was mostly just bored and was like i want to be a sleuth for fun you know but also Um, sleuthing fell into her lap because of the murder at her house right true um so it's but it's a little bit like on the man in the brown suit or some of the other words or tuppence uh, you know that character of a young woman who's like i'm yeah. not scared i'm just young woman being bored and and like brave but like brave in their boredom right because they're like i want to go do something and pushing against whatever the role of women is you know right right right, um, right. so there's more of that even though agatha christie herself i think at this point is now in her late 30s uh let me double check about that. So this apparently was the second book that she wrote after her divorce. And maybe that's why I like the love story so much because it is. It's a little bit more believable. Yeah. So she was born in uh, 1890 and this was written in uh, 29. So she was 39 
So, you know, um, she's writing about people who are 15 years younger than her. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's a great formula. It works for her. Right. And um, again, I would say it's sort of a, it's a fine sequel to a really good original, right? right. Like if you look right. at it like a movie, it's like Secret of Chimneys is awesome and this is fine. And if you like liked Secret of Chimneys, you'll sort of like Seven Dells. <laughs> right. And I think what's interesting though is again, we've talked about, so we've talked about the heroine, but now the villain, and because a lot of times how much we like um, a book kind of hinges on whether we think the villain believable because like what we didn't like about uh, the secret adversary was the bad guy who just wanted power right whereas the man in the bad brown suit bad guy just wanted money which um, made more sense which made more sense uh, but he still led a double life and so here's another double life guy but in this case the double life guy his friends are rich uh but work for the foreign office and he isn't rich he's of that class but his dad didn't leave him that much money so you i honestly i thought it believable because i think that like if you're of that upper class but you don't have that much money i think falling into you know white collar crime and you know whatever it is i'm not sure that that all makes sense but it doesn't not make sense like stealing formulas or whatever and reselling them on the i don't know what the uh dark net is (laughs) exactly i was gonna say that the dark web of what 1929 like you could kind of see it because he wants to be in the society of these like relaxed young people who don't worry about anything and that's why they're so frivolous but he doesn't have that kind of money so in some ways it makes sense i don't think he and lorraine does necessarily made sense but also like we know that sociopaths are great at like seducing people so like right fine we can just accept that and we didn't see it demonstrated to us but i guess the power he had over lorraine and like why she was willing to leave this like trail of bodies in their wake right and And they're both sociopaths which is probably not that likely but i guess yeah the murders are what bother me and that that sounds stupid because of course murders should always bother you but (laughs) But he's just a, a rich guy who went to school with Pongo, who's known these guys for years, and he's just trying to steal to keep up with the Joneses. Why does he start killing the Joneses? Right. right? I think you're and, right. You're right about that. And so if the Seven Dials are trying to track down, like, uh, did you ever see the Thomas Crown Affair? Of course. Um, either the original or the there's one in the 60s and one in the 90s. Was well, there? I haven't seen the one in the 60s. Oh, yeah. But it's the same, you know, like beautiful people. I've only seen the one with the Remington Steel. What's yeah. his name? Um, so, uh, yeah, Remington Steel. That dated you. Because um, <laughs> he was Remington Steel in the 80s and he was Bond in the 90s. So I knew it, because, of, because of him being Remington Steel, I could never buy into him being Bond. What's really? His name? Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. I, yeah, because I just like I could never buy into him being. See, fun. I never really watched Remington Steel. Really, I watched it so much with mom. I guess that must have been <laughs> like a me and mom thing, not a you and mom thing. Because I watched so much Remington Steel with, with mom. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that might have been when I was in college. It's sort of like, but like it was definitely like in reruns. It wasn't like it was fresh. Oh, it was sort of like if like um you know who's the guy who played Perry Mason. 
Burr, uh, Raymond, Raymond, Burr. Raymond Burr, like was was you know oh, going out true. for a big we, superhero role. I'd be like, no, that's Barry Mason. That's how I that's felt. That's true because he plays the bad guy. Uh, Raymond Burr plays the bad guy in the Rear Window, um, with uh, uh, which is a Hitchcock film. Yeah, and and I always was like, he can't. Like, be the why bad would Barry Mason wouldn't do that? <laughs> right, he couldn't be a killer. Okay, <laughs> that's but, how I felt with uh, Pierce Barson. Anyway, that's an aside. But with the Tom Cruise affair. But anyway, but the Thomas Crown. And Renee hair, Russo, she's got a great hair in that movie. Her hair is just great in that movie. Oh, her outfits are just great in that movie. And the soundtrack is great. Like with the like Oh, totally. But I think the sixties one, because I've seen at least part of the sixties one, but it was similar because I think it was Faye Dunaway played the woman. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in it she's the trying to catch him in the crime and he's trying to commit the crime and they're also flirting with each other. Okay. But um, nobody dies, right? It's all very white collar crime. Right, to- like if if this if this book had happened without the deaths, it would have the tone would have made more sense. Right, because it's like, oh, if there had been something stolen from Sir Oswald um, right. at that first thing, and then there was a letter, and somehow we not that Jerry had died, but like you know something, and then right. Bundle gets involved. But then it turns out there was a secret group of people trying to catch this international um, criminal who steals stuff. And he's trying to steal stuff. But instead, he's killing his friends, you know. And it's right. And that's like, what I'm saying. Like, he's killing the, his friends and Lorraine's friends. And they're both fine with this. Yeah. So that's why it's like, yeah, if I believe them and being in love and stealing and, you know, but all of a sudden. You're like, right yeah. about that. You're right about so that. That's I, why the tone bothered me in this one. No, I think you're right. I think if they just kept it lighter, more like the man in the brown suit where the murders weren't people we knew or that the characters knew or that there weren't murders. It was just about stealing. I think that would have made more sense in terms of the tone because yeah. it's, it's a comedy. It really yeah. is a comedy. Right. And so the fact that two young people who seem really nice, Jerry Wade seems like a really nice person. Right. And then he's dead pretty early on in the book. And you're like... I mean, his death is like basically the setup of the book yeah right and so it's like damn and and so when you have a comedy but then this really nice person is killed that's not a comedy and then ronnie dies and you're like oh my god like yeah right so anyway but it as you said i mean this is kind of nitpicky because we've we've really liked um some of the other ones the secret of chimneys is my favorite book that we've read so like it was a hard it was like basically a sequel and it was hard to follow up it's hard to follow up, but, um, but I do enjoy these romps. I think they're fun. Um, I think they don't make as much sense, you know, plot wise. I don't think she spent as much time on the intricate plots. Um, and it's funny. I actually found myself as a reader being more critical because in the last book, the Tommy and Tumbins book, when one of them, I forget if it's Tommy or Tumbins says, well, it's easier as a writer because when you know the resolution, you can go back and write the clues. And so I'd be like, that's right, you can. So then I, it kind of makes you, like, as a reader, be more critical. Right, because you told it that me way. To. I mean, it's it's obvious, but I never thought of it that way until she said it. But she's the, as the writer, she told me that. So then in this right. book, I'm like, you should have went back and knowing, like, once I know the secret, once right. I know who sees dead people, does the movie make sense? Right. Knowing that, like, you know, 
that the the psychiatrist is dead the whole time. Like, does it does it make sense when you watch when you reread it? You know, like you you right. need that piece. And there was a lot of things in this. Like, once you knew the secret, like it was fine the first time through, and you're like, huh, okay, sure. But then, like, it didn't make sense and reread once you know the twist. Right. So, yeah, and I think that some of her more intricate murder mysteries that were like just a a, a pro or a because what was the last pro we did the um shoot the mystery on the blue train yeah blue train that was really intricate plotting that really she spent intricate. a lot of time yeah. yeah and so the fact that I'm like ah oh, she never told battle about Jimmy Thiesinger so how did he know. Right. That always bugged me because it was like if she'd just gone back and said that one sentence. Right. So in the editing process, you want her or her to have gone back and like, yeah, all those make things. Make sure the clothes make sense. Yeah. But speaking of which, our next book next time is going to be Murder at the Vicarage, which is our first Ms. Marple. Right. Which is so funny because you know that's how I got into the very first books I ever you know I read. By Agatha Christie were Miss Marple ones. Were Miss Marple ones, and so we're finally getting to. And I'm confused because I I read a little bit out of order because based on like what came up on like my library hordes or whatever. So like I read the body in the library first, but that's not next at all. No, that's not. That's her second one, I think. Okay, Um, so yeah, so Murder at the Vicarage is our next one. It's going to be our first Miss Marple, our introduction to Miss Marple. It's very exciting, and this was written in 1930. So we're moving in the uh, uh, the crash has started also. And so like we are now no longer dealing with a society that is partying in the 1920s because the Great Depression did happen everywhere. Um, And so we're going to, you know, things are different now. And so she does spend less time talking about young people partying who are young, you know, who will have a lot of money. I think that once the Great Depression starts, then you're like, well, now I feel like an ass. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, it's, I think that that, that might have been for that, you know, I'm just speculating. Why would she mm-hmm. stop? But I think that she stopped writing those kind of like party let's go on a dinner party where we all go shooting and playing and we're all rich because then you just seem like a jerk. Right. And also maybe y'all couldn't do that anymore because no one had any money. Right. Right. Well, you know, the, the aristocracy still had money, but, uh, it's true. Um, it's like, it's just like no times. Oh, (laughs) sorry. Try try to keep us from spiraling in quarantine times, but it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's our next episode, and uh, we look forward to talking about Miss Marple in the next one. All right? Okay. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.